I bring you greetings in Jesus' name this morning. We want to greet each one, especially the Ebenezer congregation. In Paul's greetings to Timothy, he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Certainly we all need grace and mercy. You know, we may have to practice social distancing. I'd rather refer to it as physical distancing. We have to practice physical distancing, but we can still greet one another in Jesus' name. Today, as Brother David mentioned, is a special day. So happy Mother's Day to each of you mothers. I'm reminded of the church sign some of you have probably seen. It's a CH and then two blanks and a CH. It says, what is missing? You are. I don't plan to bring a Mother's Day message as such, but I, ever since probably the last two months, a Bible verse kept coming to my mind, and I want to use that as a basis for the message this morning. I use that as a text. But I want to read a poem first. I was impressed if you read the reporter, the poem that was on the front of the reporter The title is, How Could I Face the Future? How could I face the future where Christ were Christ not real to me? With stormy clouds appearing on land, in air, in sea. Though I know not the meaning of all mine eyes can see, I know God's way eternal are always best for me. The darkness may grow darker, But I shall know no fear, for Christ my Lord is with me. His presence is so near. My heart shall not be troubled with all the stress and strife, for God has oft assured me in him is all my life. The foe would have me frightened with what may soon take place, but I shall hide in Jesus and trust his saving grace. And so through all the journey, my hope in him is stayed. My heart will not be troubled, nor will it be afraid. And that is by Alma Holain. So this morning, I want to look at the book of Second Timothy. If you have your Bibles, whether you're in your living room or on your porch or wherever you're, you're at, I encourage you to get your Bible. And to turn to Second Timothy, and turn to Second Timothy chapter one. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a few questions. The first question is, what do you fear? We probably all have fears. What do you fear? The second question is, what are you doing about it? And the third question is, can you do anything about it? 
So what are your fears? What gets you anxious? What gets you uneasy? There's a number of things that could probably make us uneasy. What do you fear? Some people fear spiders or snakes or heights. Or you may fear crawling into small spaces. You may have the fear of not hearing your alarm clock. You may have a fear of failing a driver's test or an academic test. For some of you mothers, it could be teaching school at home, not quite the same as homeschooling. For children, it could be going to the dentist. For school teachers, it could be maybe a sick student. For me as a newly ordained, it was not minister's meetings or probably not even my first sermon. But the fear I had was passing out the bread and the cup at communion. You know, this was something the preachers did. You know, you always worry whether you have a piece of bread that's too big or too small, or the fear of dropping it, which I've done that already. The fear of spilling the cup. The fear of missing someone. These are probably fears we have. Now, as we look at fear, we all have an inborn fear of things, whether it's a fear of heights or a fear of falling or hurting ourselves, etc. But that's not the fear I want to focus on this morning, but rather it is that spirit of fear or that controlling fear. Now, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and the verse that I had in mind was verse 7, and I had warned the McGackiesville congregation that I'd probably be preaching on this at some point. The verse says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, I don't want to take this verse out of context, but we have Paul writing here to Timothy, this young minister, his thoughts, his, the words we have here. And I, I want to start reading here. I want to read, first of all, verses 1 and 2, and then skip down to verse 6. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, 
who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I think that's as far as I'll read. Now notice here, I want to focus here on verse 7. Again, Paul is telling Timothy that by the laying on of hands or by his by his uh, authority that was given him when he was ordained to preach the gospel, he said, God did not give him the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, I want to look there at the, the word fear. This is the only place that the Greek, that this Greek word is used in Scripture. is here, and it, it speaks of being timid. Paul did not want Timothy to be timid. I don't know what you think of when you think of fear or being timid. But there's, there's some other forms of the word that were used in Revelation, and we'll look at that here after a bit. But notice here, God has not given us the spirit of fear. God is not a God of fear. We are to fear God, and that Greek word is used in a little different way when we are to fear God. But here, speaking of the spirit of fear, First of all, I want to look at what does the spirit of fear, or where does the spirit of fear come from? And what does it look like? First of all, we realize here in verse 7, it says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. So the spirit of fear does not come from God. Turn with me now to Revelation 21. Go to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 7 and 8. Notice here, I want to read verse 7 so we get the context here. Verse 7 and 8, he says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, and unless the number of, peop number of people here describes the number of people, it says, they shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So in other words, the spirit of fear, or the fearful, will be judged. Fearfulness is a tool of the devil. The devil wants us to be fearful. 
that a fear to, the spirit of fear manifests itself in many different ways. And in the last two months, I've seen people do some, well, I'll say ridiculous things. I could use some other adjectives there, but we've probably all seen people do some ridiculous things. And it's because they are living under the spirit of fear. And it's even among our own people. Someone has said, fear is the dark room where the devil takes you to develop your negatives. How fearful are you? Are you living in a spirit of fear? I thought I was interesting here. I was kind of mauling this message over in my mind for a while, close to two months. And I found uh, in the Daily News record, Harrisonburg paper, um, on March the 31st, a letter to the editor, there was an article I want to read. It's not real long. The title of it is, Fear is the Real Enemy. We are fighting an enemy that we cannot see. Like the wind, we see its effects, but not its substance. We catch its essence, but we do not see its body. It is not the coronavirus. It is not racial injustice. It is not terrorists or even poverty although these things are. The real enemy is fear. We are a fearful people who are prey to the anxieties and insecurities of an uncertain world. As Americans, we have come to expect prosperity, but this is a result of common grace. We are, as a people, perplexed and unsettled when hardships, pestilence, or pandemic strike. These things are inexplicable, incongruent happenings. Comfort can be found in understanding that we are not invulnerable, nor are we unique in our suffering. History teaches us this. Faith, discipline, duty, virtue, patience, humility, and love, especially love, can defeat this most pernicious foe, fear. And that was written by Scott Hansen from Harrisonburg. Now I want to look at the opposite of fear, just briefly here. You know, when when people are fearful, they are uneasy, they're unsettled. And even if you observe animals, you know, we often hear the phrase in the dairy world today that your cows should be happy. In other words, they should be comfortable. They should have plenty to eat. They should have plenty of space to lay down. And they will be happy. They will be content. And you can notice this in other animals also. But the opposite of fear is contentment. And my mind went to Psalm 23. So if you want to turn there, 
I want to look at just a couple of verses there from Psalm 23. It talks about the Lord being our shepherd. He starts out here in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I shall not lack. In other words, God provides for us. If you go down to verse 4 and 5, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Now, as we think of preparing a table before our enemies, my mind goes to the natural world when you see, maybe it's a deer out eating, and sometimes we capture this on trail cameras, a deer is out eating, maybe eating contentedly, and all of a sudden a coyote comes and tries to get his breakfast. God prepares the table before us in the presence of our enemies. We do not need to fear because God is there. Now go to Psalm 27. I want to read here verses 1 through 6. Again, we have a picture of the opposite of fear. Notice here what the psalmist says. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. And again, here we have the opposite of fear. That of trust in God. That of satisfaction. That of peace and quiet and, and refuge. Now I'd like to go to John chapter 14. There was one verse there I want to look at. John chapter 14 in verse 27, this was when Jesus was telling the disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit, or the Comforter. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, 
give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so we can trust in God. God wants us to have peace and not fear. God wants us to trust in him. Now, I want to go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You know, he starts out, as I mentioned here, this verse, God does not give us fear, but what does he give us? And if you want a sermon title now, I've entitled it, Gifts of God. Gifts of God. What does God give us? He gives us power. It's mentioned here. God does not give us the spirit of fear, but of power. And so as we look at, I don't know what you think of when you think of power, but I want to read here from Adam Clark commentary. As we look at these next three, what he says about power Uh, The very spirit and genius of it was a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind, but of power to work miracles, to confound enemies, to support us in trials, and enable us to do that which is lawful and right in his sight. That's what he says about power. You know, we all like power. Are you availing yourselves of that power. You know, our power comes from God. I want to look now at Luke 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. This was when Jesus ascended. The promise of him sending the Holy Spirit in Luke 24:49 it says and behold I send you I send the promise of my father upon you but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So we see that that power that we receive comes from God. Now go back to John 14 again. John 14, again, he speaks of these things. John 14, starting at verse 15. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I pray, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he, may, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Now get down to verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And so here we have the promise of the Holy Spirit, and that is where the power comes from. Another verse, a couple other verses yet from Acts chapter 2. If you go to Acts chapter 2, we have the early church. And we have Peter's sermon. I'm going to start reading here, read verses 37 through 39 of Acts chapter 2. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are, are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter was promising them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do we recognize the Holy Spirit as a gift from God? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Ghost. James 1.17 speaks of the gift, every good and every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from God, are you availing yourselves of that power that is given to us? In the natural sense, we all like power. It can be anything from a kitchen gadget, a lawnmower, a weed eater, a tractor, or a truck, or a car, and when those things are not running properly, they're very frustrating. Maybe they have dirt in the gas. Maybe they're not tuned up quite right. And most of the time, when you need all the power that it has, is in the tough times. You know, when you're going into mowing a tall grass, you need all the power you can get. When you're pulling a heavy load, you need all the power. Do we avail ourselves of that power? Are we disappointed when we don't have the power that we need with these tools we have? And in the time we live, we need the power of the comforter more now than ever. Do you appreciate the gift of the Holy Spirit or do you take him for granted? We have the gift of power from the Holy Spirit. Now I'd like to look at that of love. Another gift that God gives us is that of love. And I want to read again from Adam Clark what he says about love. He says, And of love, which enables us to hear, believe, hope, 
and endure all things, and is the incentive to all obedience. The incentive to obedience is love. My mind goes to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us so we can give our love to him. John 14, 15 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And so if we love God, we keep his commandments. I want to look now at 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter five and verses three and four says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. My thought is here when we love someone, we trust them. You say you love God. I say I love God. Do you trust God? We have the account of Jesus and his disciples in Matthew chapter 8. They were on the Sea of Galilee, and the storm came up. I want to read here, from Matthew 8, starting at verse 24, it says, And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. This is speaking of Jesus. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now, if you go to Mark's account in Mark chapter 4, Mark words this a little bit differently and actually more strongly. Matthew says, O ye of little faith. In Mark chapter 4, let me just read the account here, starting at verse 37. It says, There arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Notice here he says, How is it that ye have no faith? What would Jesus say to us? Do we have faith? 
Jesus calmed the storm here. Do you love God enough to let him see you through the storm? You know, sometimes that's easier said than done. But God has given us the gift of love. Now I want to go back to 2 Timothy. The third thing, the third gift that he gives to us is that of a sound mind. A sound mind is a gift from God. And I want to read again here from Adam Clark. He speaks of a sound mind of self-possession, according to some, but a sound mind implies much more. It means a clear understanding, a sound judgment, a rectified will, holy passions, heavenly tempers. In a word, the whole soul harmonizes in all its powers and faculties and completely regulated and influenced so as to think, speak, and act straight in all things. Do you utilize your sound mind? Webster says, a sound mind is that which is free from injury or disease, exhibiting normal health, sharing good judgment or sense. Now, if you've ever written up a will, more than likely it says that in your will that you are doing this with a sound mind. You are not doing this when you are intoxicated if you are intoxicated, if you are so sick that you can't think clearly, you are doing this with a sound mind. And so God has given us a sound mind. Did ever, anyone ever tell you to use that thing on top of your shoulders? In other words, use your head. Think clearly. Be logical. Don't panic. God has given us a sound mind. And as we think of the times we are in, use your head. Use your sound mind. Be willing to ask others for advice if you have questions or if you're not sure about something. You know, sometimes people don't think clearly and they do very strange things. You know, some time ago, somebody asked us how much milk we use in a week's time. You know, we get our milk from there on the farm, and, well, just whenever we need it, we go get it. It's literally about 100 feet from the kitchen, and we just go get it. Well, we didn't know how much we used, so we kept track of it for a week. It's just simple human logic. If we have fear, the spirit of fear, the controlling fear, we will do strange things, and we've seen strange things in the last two months. If you don't know how much toilet paper you use, keep track of it. I don't think you need 
a whole carton every week. God has given us a sound mind. Let's use it. As I was thinking of putting our trust in God, I want to wrap this message up here, but my mind was drawn to Psalm 37. Very familiar psalm. It's one of trust. It's one of depending on God. It's one that the psalmist says we don't need to be worrisome. We don't need to fear. Psalm 37. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they soon they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land. So shalt thou dwell so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily shalt thou be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust in him Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. I believe I'll stop there. So we need to trust in the Lord. We do not need to fear. We do not need to live with that spirit of fear. We can trust in him. Worry isn't going to get us anywhere. And as we look at this verse, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. These are gifts from God. God wants us to trust in him. God wants us to live in peace and happiness and joy. He wants us to trust in him and to be by doing so, we can be a witness and a light to others. And I want to close with this, with this uh, little quote here. It says, Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered. No one was there. I trust we can look to Jesus to direct our lives, to guide us as we live our lives, that we do not need to fear, but that we can trust in him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, as we come to the close of this service, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but you have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have given us power and love and a sound mind. 
And as we live our lives, help us to use these things according to your will. Direct our lives, especially through this time. And as we look to you, may your will be done in our lives so we can be a faithful light and testimony to those around us. We just pray, Father, that it's not asking against your will, though we can soon be gathered back together again in a physical way to worship you. May you direct our lives, and until you come again, may we be faithful and keep our eyes focused on you. Guide us and keep us. Lord bless each one. In Jesus' name, amen.